Have you heard the phrase, kill your darlings? That essentially means that like, sometimes you just think you had a brilliant idea, right? And there's a sentence that you feel like you wrote so well. And then like in the editing process, that sentence or that thought is just no longer relevant to what the story is actually becoming about. And you have to get rid of it, you know? So that's, I do that every day. It's like the most painful (sighs) aspect of my job. Welcome to Top of Mind a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. Do you own or borrow your audience? There's a concept in the marketing world that helps you to visualize what kind of communication relationship you have with your audience. If you build your audience on platforms like Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok, it's said that you borrow your audience. That's because even though they follow and subscribe to you, anytime you want to communicate directly with them, you have to go through that platform. This can be problematic when algorithms change or the platforms fall out of style. Owning a channel gives you a much more predictable line of communication, but it also requires a significant amount of effort. The most common method of owning an audience is to collect their email addresses, and this allows you to get their attention whenever you want. But the email inbox is a precious space and a privilege brands must respect. If you're too obnoxious, your audience will unsubscribe, and if you're too shy, then they'll forget completely about you. I'm pleased to be joined today with a person who's in charge of making sure that a very large email list is delivered high quality marketing news three times a week. She's the marketing writer for Marketing Brew, which is an email newsletter under the larger Morning Brew media business that boasts over 2 million email subscribers and a podcast to boot. Join me today. I've got Phoebe Bain. Hey there. Thanks so much for having me on. I've been uh, wanting to chat about newsletters for a while because I've recently gotten more into writing both on my newsletter and just kind of as a as an activity that I'm doing. And I really like to hear from other writers about like how they think about it and got into it. So why don't we start hearing if you've got any particular moment that you can recall when you decided that you actually wanted to start taking writing seriously? Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess that would be back in my college days before I decided I wanted to be a journalist. I was actually a slam poet. So I'd gone to all these like University of Virginia writing workshops and slam poetry competitions all throughout like the DC area when I was growing up. And then I think by college, I was debating, you know, sophomore year of college, you're figuring out what that summer internship is going to be. I was debating between starting to study for the LSAT and apply to law school or becoming a journalist. And to be honest with you, I did the math and realized I wouldn't start making more in the type of law I wanted to practice for 20 years after I graduated than I would in like, you know, my target area as a journalist. So I decided to just do what I loved and it's taken me this far. That's awesome. Do you think that slam poetry has influenced your writing style at all? (laughs) Oh my God, I sure hope not. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. You kind of need to be punchy. You want to get people's attention. You got to say things and keep it in a certain character count. I guess. Yeah, I was one of my first jobs out of college was being a social media editor at Business Insider. So my time there and my time working in social in general, it really taught me how to write, you know, short, concise copy and, you know, about knowledge gaps and headlines, curiosity gaps 
that type of thing. And that's all proved to be very useful for a newsletter. So perhaps you could say that was inspired <laughs> by shortened lines of poetry, but like I said, I hope not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Social media and newsletters, I think are very different, even though they play on the same, like they play into each other because people can't subscribe to your newsletter unless you promote it. And, but you can't, write about a newsletter unless you have a social media presence. It's kind of like chicken and egg situation. Uh, Do you have to flip your mind to a totally different way of writing when you go from short form social stuff to the longer form newsletter? Honestly, I find that it's a lot of editing down. So I guess, I mean, for social stuff, just because my entire job at Business Insider, I was like lowest man on the totem pole. And it was literally just writing like Instagram share text, Twitter share text, Twitter threads, all that kind of thing on the account. And I did like a bazillion of those, you know, little short takeaways a day. So it's just so ingrained in my mind, like as to the right way to do it. It's interesting because Marketing Brew actually just hired a second writer. So my co-writer, his name's Ryan Barwick. And so I've been teaching him a little bit how to do, you know, the stuff for the Marketing Brew Twitter and on social and what preview text should look like and that kind of thing. So it has sort of been funny being like, oh, this doesn't like this isn't like a natural skill. Like a lot of journalists didn't get their start in social like I did. So it's interesting, but I guess, I don't know, it's so formulaic in my head and social at this point that like, I don't even, I don't even know how I do it, but I know that for writing, my first drafts are incredibly long form. And for the newsletter, I just chop and chop and chop. Like the first draft of a story will take me 45 minutes. And then it's like two to three hours of editing for like something that's going to be really, really good, you know? Wow. So when you Let's get right into kind of the the method. I'd love to hear how you pick a story and then what your initial kind of like what that 45 minute brain dump looks like. So the picking a story is really complicated. Do you want to hear about like our curation um, efforts? Yeah. So essentially every morning, well, I guess Monday, Wednesday, Friday, technically, we are sending out a newsletter. So the writing process for you know, the Monday, Wednesday, or Friday edition of the newsletter would start on Tuesday, Thursday, or Sunday. So I'm literally scanning through every possible news source of marketing and advertising news that exists in the world. Like, if you go on AdAge right now, I've read every single article on AdAge, I could guarantee it, or at least skimmed it, right? Like, I know what my readers would be interested in. So I'm doing that on legitimately every website that is talking about marketing news, at least three mornings a week. And then my co-writer and I each compile all of the story ideas that we have into a doc based off of news that's been going on or pitches that have been sent to us or, you know, things we're thinking about, trends we're thinking about and find interesting in the industry. And then we have a pitch meeting with our editor where we sort of just chip away like a nice sculpture at what really matters. What are the, you know, three things in the marketing industry in the past 48 hours that are going to matter to our readers tomorrow morning, right? And then after that, we we go ahead and get writing. And then what was, you had a follow-up question that was later in that process. Yeah. Before we get there, I'll, I'll dive into more of the curation stuff. What I, I heard in uh, another interview you gave that before Marketing Brew came to be, you did a whole bunch of customer interviews. Did you pick out things from those customer interviews that now help you decide what stories they enjoy? Or or is that process evolved since Marketing Brew's launch? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about that. So my like journalistic experience pre-Marketing Brew, other than you know being a social media editor, I was actually a writer, freelancer, intern, all sorts of things, and a years-long relationship with Social Media Today, which is actually under Industry Dive. So they're specifically covering 
social media marketing. You can kind of see how the whole background comes together into this job. But when I first started Marketing Brew, I mean, you know, any marketer knows the tenets of what we do as marketers, no matter the channel or your role that you're focusing on, are all pretty core and the same. But when I started Marketing Brew, I had a lot of catching up to do on what was newsworthy on channels that were not just social, right? So we honestly did all these different reader calls to talk about marketers that already read Morning Brew, were already fans of the brew, but what they'd be excited to see in a Marketing Brew newsletter. So to be honest, I don't really think those calls currently inform my day-to-day work. Morning Brew as a company has grown, like we've more than doubled our size of employees since I started about a year ago. So just our focuses now are pretty different, but those reader calls really helped inform what the structure of the newsletter was going to be and the types of news that people wanted to hear covered, right? So again, it's very ingrained into the structure now. That's not something, you know, I don't still go to that feedback and look at it every day like I did when I first started the newsletter, but it, you know, helped make the newsletter what it is now for sure. Yeah. And I think, and and it has that structured feel like there's, there are stories and then there are kind of takeaways and then there are curated links and having that structure makes it really easy to, as you, the writer now fill in the gaps. Like, you know, every three day, every other day, you need to have a, uh, a story that's X number of words to fill that portion. And you need five links to fill this portion, which having those constraints. And I found this in mine for the first, like, 20 or 30 that I sent out, it was kind of like, oh, whatever I feel inspired to write about that week. And then finding, finally finding constraints makes it writing so much better. Yeah, absolutely. And in that way, that's why I think that newsletters are so similar to social in that way. In that like, you know, I always have the strains of two restraints of 280 characters or, you know, a certain image size or whatever. And now newsletters are just larger boundaries, but similar idea of like, okay, you have this big idea and you're putting it into these tiny constraints. How do we communicate this effectively? Now let's get into that, that writing system that you said, where you go from pitching your ideas to the editor. You now have a short list of all the ideas, stories you want to cover. You've got some sources from when you did the research. How do you go from idea to that first draft? My idea to that first draft. So typically I do a lot of source interview calls before I ever pitch. So in my ideal world, before that pitch even happens, I've done an interview with whatever source I want to talk to. And that interview is transcribed and, you know, ready for me to pick apart and put into a draft. Occasionally it's not. Occasionally my editor and I will talk about what we want in interview questions for one of our sources before we even go ahead and give that interview. So yeah, I mean, obviously like essentially TLDR before the first draft, I have to have for the majority of stories, right? Like original reporting. If it's not just curation stuff, then we have to have a transcript of an interview. But yeah, then how it goes from there to first draft is, I don't know, I think it's weird, right? The way that I personally write, and I don't know if this is true for everybody, but I do think it's good advice for everybody, is to not worry so much about what the structure of the story is going to be or you know, how you're going to get from point A to B to C in the story, just like write what you've just told your editor the story is going to be about and get it all on a piece of paper. I don't care if it's 150 words, like the shorter stories in Marketing Brew are. I don't care if it's, you know, 300 to 400 words, like that top story always is. Just like write what is in your head and what you've spoken about. And then once that's there, you're like, okay, what don't I need? You take away everything you don't need. Okay, how can I make this information more digestible for a newsletter reader who's oftentimes reading this information on their phone, but, you know, for somebody that might also be looking at it on their laptop, who is this age and then this marketing discipline, blah, blah, blah. So then all those more critical editorial analytical factors 
come in during the editing process, right? So can you see how it's like, my first drafts are so quick. I think that they say, you know, there's that Ernest Hemingway saying, write drunk, edit sober. And that's like a great saying, but you definitely don't need to get drunk. You can if you want to, you know, if you're not doing it professionally like I am. Um, but it's really just like word vomit, edit sober, yeah. you know? Yeah, 100%. And then you have like these those nuggets and maybe that sentence that actually you didn't expand on, but that that kind of drunk sentence, if we're going to call it that, ends up being like the whole hook. And you're like, that was awesome. Let's let's build 200 words around that one sentence that I just said off the cuff. Yeah, I mean, sure. But also like more often than that, it's less of like finding a diamond in the rough and more of a kill your darlings situation. Have you heard mm. the phrase kill your darlings? I do, but I'd like to hear your definition. Yeah, it essentially means that like sometimes you'll write a piece and you'll write like you you just think you had a brilliant idea, right? And there's a sentence that you feel like you wrote so well. And then like in the editing process, that sentence or that thought is just no longer relevant to what the story is actually becoming about. And you have to get rid of it, you know? So that's, yeah. I do that every day. It's like the most painful <sighs> aspect of <laughs> my job. That must be a hard muscle to, or a, a muscle that I don't think many people have needing to creatively produce consistently like every single day and then being all right with hearing no because it sounds like you hear no more often than you hear yes well I think that I'm getting better at telling myself no you know like ideally your editor is an easy job so the easier I can make his job the better the story is going to be knowing that your work is going to be read by I don't know exact number but I'm going to assume a hundred hundreds of thousands of people at any given time how do you balance being like accessible? Like someone can just pick up this newsletter and, and on the first edition and be like, oh, wow, yeah, I, I know what they're talking about, but also being specific enough that it's actionable for those, those power users. Often stories, I think that we divide them into sections, right? So this is specifically in like morning brew newsletter format and what I've found effective for communicating those thoughts in my own newsletter. So First sentence of a story in the newsletter is, you know, the hook, what happened, why it's interesting. Often, like, the second or third graph in the newsletter will be, you know, in case you missed it, here's what we're talking about. So, like, a good example would be, like, the third-party cookie stories that we do. You know, for anyone who didn't know, the death of the third party is the third-party cookie is coming, and people need to know what that means for their jobs as functional marketers, right? But there could be someone reading the newsletter or reading that story who've never heard of a cookie before, so you can give a brief three to seven words explaining what they are and then dive into more actionable insights. Right. And I think that that structure makes it pretty approachable because that way, you know, the reader feels informed going forward if they don't know what the topic is and they're encouraged to keep reading. But, you know, the more informed reader likes to be like, Oh wait, that what are, what's the current working definition we're working with now? Or they can just skip over that and go to the more actionable parts. Right. Um, Yeah. yeah, it's, It's a tough balance for sure, but I try and make sure but I have both in every newsletter. And then the funny thing is that like marketing brew is unique when it comes to marketing and advertising journalism, because we write about everything. There's now two writers up until two weeks ago, it was just me that wrote about every single part of the marketing industry, right? Like a fully flushed out publication. Yeah. I would be like, you know, a social media and brand reporter, or maybe I'd just be reporting on influencer marketing. Like, no, we're doing all of it. So Naturally, I have strong spots and niches, like what I just mentioned, and then I have, you know, weak spots. And when I am writing about one of those weak spots, like ad tech for me is something where I feel like 
I, I am working proficient, but I am not fluent in the language. I will make it an explainer type article because I'm like, you know, the type of person that is reading my newsletter. If I'm not already an ad tech expert, they're probably not either, right? Because right. at this point, this thing's been around for almost a year. So we're, we're getting that news in case there are ad tech experts reading the newsletter because that stuff is important to the wider industry. But I try and make those more explainery just because I'm kind of learning it myself. So yeah, totally. And I think that's also a unique advantage that writing has is you're documenting your learning. Like you as a writer are learning about ad tech as you're writing it. And now that's a hyperlink that you can link back to in a future episode or future newsletter when you want to like do a deep dive. You're like, oh, and here's like the, the here's what can, here's what, here's what Phoebe wrote six months ago. And now like I can get, get to the meaty stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I think that when you're writing about topics that like, you know, you're working proficient, but you're not fluent. And the most important thing is that you're telling the truth, right? And like, that's the most important thing to me as a journalist is like, I don't care if I'm not an expert in something. I would obviously love to be an expert in everything, but we have to meet each other where we are as long as I'm telling people the truth about what the news is and what happened. Because that's what the newsletter is, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That That's that's a crazy amount of output. And I think that's something that I'm I've learned... I'm learning about journalism that I'm starting to appreciate way more is like the output is just incredible. Like to do three a week and you being the only writer, what advice would you have for someone who's who's wanting to be prolific, but always is kind of sitting there waiting for inspiration and they haven't put a system in place yet to be able to write every single day the same way that you do now? Oh, I wish I could sit around and wait for inspiration. <laughs> that sounds lovely. That's like, you know, what a lot of opinion columnists and you know larger media people like at the times do like they can write a couple stories a year and be fine by the end of their careers but yeah advice for i don't know honestly like the way that i process is very much through talking about it right so like if i know that a news story is important and that i have to cover it i but i don't have anything particularly inspired to say about it i'll start talking about it with my editor and, you know, talk about it with, talk about the topic that you were writing about with people who understand the topic. And that's how human conversations work, right? Like right. someone will have an opinion on something that will inspire you to, you know, do a deeper dive into some aspect of the story. So yeah, but also like, I don't know, especially with the large amount of output, I do kind of understand what I think you were getting at there. And like, if you are constantly turning out content, then like, when's the time for you to like daydream and have inspiration? Like there are times when if I'm like, having writer's block or I'm stuck on a story, I will get in the shower or I'll take a walk. And anytime now, especially like, I'm so thankful to have a second writer because it means, you know, we can do more creative stuff outside the newsletter and grow the vertical into more of a media brand than a newsletter brand. That's all coming down the pipe. But just like right now, it's it's nice that, you know, I can have a little bit more time to like think about this kind of thing, right? Because I can't tell you how many times I'm in the shower or I'm falling asleep or I'm on a run. It's like, I think of a good headline for a story and I have to like stop what I'm doing and write it down, you know? So having, I think that like, it's good to schedule unproductive time, right? Or just time where your body's doing one thing and your brain's doing something else. Cause like, that's where inspiration comes. Mm, yeah. That's great advice. I, I definitely agree. I, I get that too. Sometimes <laughs> my phone is always in the shower with me now. It's really bad. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> that's usually the, that's like the one place you can get away from your phone. Not anymore. If I, this happened to me like yesterday. I was in the shower and I was like, oh my God, I thought of this great sentence for the story I'm running tomorrow. And then I didn't write it down. And I guarantee you that sentence was not as good as the one I had in my head. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, they're gone. If you don't write it down, they're gone. Yeah. You have to write it down. Bring the phone <laughs> in the shower, get a plastic bag for it. Don't answer texts, but just if you need to write something down. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's good. So moving on to like to talk a little bit more about newsletters and less about the writing process. They've been around forever. Like this is not a new thing by any means, but they're really like people are really into them right now. And obviously Morning Brew has, like you said, doubled in size. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I said in the intro, being able to own your audience is more valuable than ever. And email is just a tried and true old school piece of technology that for the foreseeable future isn't vanishing out of thin hair. So having that owned audience is valuable in a lot of cases. Can you give me an example of how newslet- what newsletters can provide that other mediums just aren't able to do? Is there anything unique about newsletters in terms of the delivery method? Do you mean provide for the reader or provide for the company that might be sending them? Oh, I'd be interested to hear if you if you have a thought on both sides, but for the reader specifically. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It's interesting because I think that what makes Morning Brew special, which you didn't ask, but I have to preface, is that they've just, you know, we've come out with this formula that just works. Like we've come out with a really, really engaging template for our newsletters and the daily newsletter and all the B2B newsletters follow that template and all strive to imitate a similar conversational friendly voice. And it just, I think it just makes you want to keep scrolling, right? Like you... People like familiarity. People like clicking on something and knowing what they're clicking on. And there's an element with the newsletter that you've become a huge fan of or that you're reading. Like, you know, the sections in it, right? You know, which part you want to scroll to, which part you don't. So I think that's part of it. And also like, just going with my knowledge from social, I have to assume that part of why people like to read a newsletter is because they know what they're getting. Like humans. So for instance, like the curiosity gap thing, right? If you write a headline that says, I took my dog to the park and then this happened. And then, and then like dot, 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 click to see what happens. People are not going to click on that as often as they're going to click on. I took my dog to a park and he ran into a skunk. Here are 10 ways that you can get skunk smell out of your dog because then they already feel like they know something about what they're clicking on. Right. And that's just psychologically proven. Like that's why you don't want a curiosity gap in your headline and you don't want it to be like clickbaity other than algorithmic things. But with newsletters, I really feel like it's the same way. Like people like to know what they're getting into with their media. I haven't heard. So the curiosity gap, just to make sure I got that right is you don't want the gap to be so massive that they don't know if that link will show them the answer. You you want to kind of like ease them into the answer before asking for that. You want to tell them what you're going to say in your article before they even click on it. Just like with the newsletter, you know, ideally people will know what they're getting when they click on it. That's like why. Also like with newsletters, word of mouth marketing is really great. Obviously that's like the most coveted, coveted form of marketing for all marketers, but like typically when you're reading a newsletter, you didn't find it online. You found it from somebody that you follow on social or somebody that, you know, a newsletter your friend shared with you. So yeah, it's just like, you you know what you're getting into. And I think that newsletters are even better about that than perhaps a larger media site without them. But okay. I just think that like for Morning Brew, as of now, that's like our anchor, right? But we are building a media company about it or around that. Advertising is, from what I understand, advertising is like one of the main revenue lines for Marketing Brew. What... What do come? What do some of the most effective ads that you sprinkle into your content have in common? And by effective, um, I mean the ones that the advertiser uh, comes back to you and says that was well worth the money. Let's do it again. Oh, I so wish I could answer that question for you, but at Morning <laughs> Brew, as especially as we grow, this wasn't a hundred percent the case when I started, but we're getting more of a separation between church and state from the editorial department and the advertising department. So the people who I actually don't write the ads in the newsletter, that is a team of copywriters 
who has read a bunch of my newsletters and studied my voice and said, let's make an ad that is an ad that's going to perform really well that happens to sound like Phoebe because we're putting it in her newsletter. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a super smart system and such, but yeah, I don't, I'm not allowed to see like performance or anything on the ads. I'm not the one communicating with the advertiser. However, an interesting thing with Marketing Brew is that because they're marketers, marketers will read the newsletter and then they'll email me and be like, hey, we'd love to talk to your, you know, revenue team about advertising in your newsletter. So I'm happy to forward along an email, but you will not be talking (laughs) to me about it for more than that forwarded email with my friend CC'd on it. (laughs) Yeah, right. What are some opportunities that you think that newsletters uh, are perfect for that you haven't seen a lot of people doing yet? An opportunity that I think newsletters are perfect for that I haven't seen a lot of people doing. When you narrow down opportunity for me. Let's think from a brand's perspective. Like a lot of a lot of listeners, I think, either are building their own brand or work for a brand. So from like yeah. a marketing so, and and trying to get a sale at some point side. For sure. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, I think that so it's difficult, right? Because if you are a fairly small brand, I personally do not think that you should have a newsletter. If you are trying to be a jack of all trades because you are at a startup and there's four of you, nobody needs to be writing your newsletter because these things aren't good. I mean, I've I've written newsletters for other companies during the very brief time I was at an advertising agency and then also, you know, for other uh, business media publications, but you're not going to get a return unless you spend a ton of time on it. Right. But So that's the first rule. So then determine if you have the actual resources and hours of a week and money to pay somebody to put into this thing, because this is my full-time job, right? So, and obviously not every brand wants to or needs to be pumping out uh, a marketing brew edition three times a week, but they want something, right? So I don't know. I think that there's a missed opportunity, again, for the people that can afford it. Can't emphasize that enough for brands to create original content that is literally just narrative personal essay, written content with their influencers. So for instance, like we follow influencers on Instagram, et cetera, right? But there's no reason that like a brand cannot have their newsletter writers be an influencer. So let's say that I am like Dolce Vita. It's a shoe company, right? They send me an email once a day with all of their shoe sales and pictures of their models wearing the shoes. Amazing. More than that, I would rather have an email from the type of woman who wears those shoes, just telling me a story about her life or, you know, a story about lockdown and the pandemic and what getting dressed these days is like then, what she's been buying, what she's been wearing, what her boyfriend said about it or her girlfriend or whoever. And then I want a promo code at the end. And so these influencers don't necessarily need to be employees of the company, but they're, they're like chosen creators and they probably have a couple other things going on. Like they probably have a massive audience of their own, but you're saying to engage them in a way that like, come be a guest writer for us, maybe once a week or something, like once a month or whatever. Um, and and give us like those longer form stuff. Yeah. Because I don't know. It's interesting. Do you know the whole like downfall of man repeller? Have you heard of that? No. So they were a women's media company who ended up closing shop at the same time that a lot of like female founders left companies this summer. And a lot of their writers who were really, really smart people like Harling Ross, Haley Nauman, they do guest pieces for other publications now, right? They're all, a lot of them are like freelancing. And I saw one article recently that was like Harling Ross was one of the main editors at Man Repeller back in the day. And I saw an article that was just like the things from this company that she has on her wedding registry. 
And I'm like, send that in a newsletter. She's an amazing writer. I would read anything she wrote. She has a really loyal following. Mm -hmm. And she literally has all these things on her wedding registry, right? (laughs) From like your upscale, you know, home and wellness company or whatever. I don't know if that could apply outside of retail, but it'd be really cool if it could. I don't know. I'm the biggest advocate for making B2B less traditional and more outside the box. So yeah, big time. In a previous episode uh, with Roger Figueredo, and he works at a company called Hashtag Paid, and they kind of help influencers, they call them creators though, because they want to be more kind of broad, help them kind of connect with brands. And his biggest advice and opportunity that he saw as well was making those long-term relationships with those creators and making them like a pseudo employee of the company where they don't need to be on the payroll. But like, if you have them talking about your stuff all the time, because they want to, and because they actually like working for you and with you, and they create really great content, why would you not incorporate that into all your branded messaging? I think that one of the major issues with this strategy, though, is that people do not think of influencers as somebody they would hire to write content for them, right? They think of influencers as somebody that they pay like by the post, and that post takes a different amount of effort to create, obviously. But I don't know. I think that if we started thinking of influencers as maybe not just, you know, really thin women in bikinis and could think of them as all different types of people, like gamers, for instance, are a really great example lately. I think brand marketing would be better off for it. Yeah. And and, and you have to find the ones who are would be good writers too, because they do need to have that ability. I think they should be writers first. Like, I think you should hire, you know what I mean? Like, not necessarily. That's how the women at Man Repeller were. And I admire it. Amazing, Phoebe. This has been awesome. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. And make sure you jump on uh, Marketing Brew and get Phoebe's insights to your inbox three times a week. Uh, To to sign up for that is morningbrew.com slash marketing. And uh, you will not be disappointed. (laughs) Thanks, Phoebe. Amazing. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.